0: Let's do that unto Jesus. Amen. He's worthy of our praise. Let's just take 10 more seconds and put our hands together for Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated for a moment. Thank you for standing. Amen. Thank you to the leadership team here for leading so capably and for uh, helping me assisting me give honor of course to your bishop in his absence and uh well i mean you you know your bishop better than me if he's not here church time you must not be feeling very well at all amen so uh i was texting him today and we of course will my wife and i will be keeping him in our prayers and uh, for those of you who have been kind enough to pray for my wife uh, we really appreciate it. She's doing significantly better, much, much better. This is the best day she's had in, uh, in about a week or over a week. So she is, I'm going to go pick her up tomorrow and be driving her up here so you'll get to see her this weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. Amen. If nobody else is, amen. <laughs> amen. Thankful for what we feel here. Thank you to the music team, Sister Mayo. Amen, for leading us into worship so ably, so capably. Amen. Thankfully, if I forget to thank someone, I have another chance to do it on Sunday. Amen. So we will turn to the word of the Lord in just a moment. For the media team, I am going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, the book of John, chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. And while you're turning there, um, again, so good to see the Bertrams here, I think they're scattered here, I and mean, I see Sister Bertram there, and there he is, Brother Bertram, I'm so glad I got to hear him sing tonight, amen, hey man, everybody did awesome, but I love hearing Brother David Bertram sing, I'm just putting the spotlight on you, brother, hey amen, it's awesome, and I, I told the brother up here, I, I, he was up there worshiping, and he had a handkerchief in his hand, but it was black, I'd never seen a black handkerchief, I said, brother, it looks like Brother Bertram's got a dirty sock in his hand. He's up there praising God with a dirty sock. Said, somebody get that man a handkerchief. He needs one desperately. Amen. But I think it was just a black hanky. So, amen. We'll forgive you, brother. Amen. But love and appreciate him and his family. And uh, excited about what God has for us here tonight. If you're visiting, if you've never been here or been here a few times, I know I speak on behalf of your church and your pastor when I say that we're so glad that you're here. And uh, more importantly, Jesus is glad that you're here. Amen. I don't believe a single service is by accident. I don't believe a single service can be wasted. So you are here intentionally, by divine design. And um, it's also good to see the marks here. And man, it's a privilege to be with them on Sunday. Thank you for having me. We had great church over there in Sandpoint. Amen. I guess I'll say this on the onset of my message, since I'm taking a moment here before we read our text. Um, I was driving, uh, flying rather, into Spokane, and I landed. Uh, On Saturday evening this last Saturday evening and I was uh, in the back seat of an uber Uh, the guy was taking me to my hotel and uh, pulling up my notes here so I wrote down something very simple that I feel like God just dropped into my spirit and uh, I was gonna share it on Sunday didn't really feel too so I'll mention here tonight and this may seem so blah to some of you so plain to some of you but maybe if we could put this in our pockets and hold on to it uh, because as I was driving into your city, it's like when we begin to really uh, go into the city limits and, and drive past the center of Spokane on our way to my hotel. I, uh, I had tried to strike up a conversation with the Uber driver, but he didn't speak much English and didn't want to talk, and he turned up the music real loud while I was talking and made it made it clear the conversation was over, so I said, okay, I'll just be back here and I'll pray for him and pray for the city. And and I'm telling you, this doesn't really happen to me often, but I just started weeping, and I started crying as we entered into Spokane, as we got closer into this area, and I was in the back seat just crying and silently speaking in tongues, and I felt that God just dropped into my spirit, just a simple, maybe just a word of encouragement, whatever you want to call it, but I felt in my spirit that God is fixing to pour out upon this city and this area. The likes of which we have never seen before yeah, it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. do you believe that Jesus, with me yes, I, yes. I I don't know I don't know you that well and I don't know the history of that church this church but That's what God put into my spirit, and I couldn't stop crying and weeping to save my life. For somebody here, for this church to know, I I don't know what's happening. I know great things are happening with this building over here, but that's just scratching the surface. I've just come to tell somebody what God spoke to me. God is fixing to pour out upon this city and this region and this area, the likes of which we have never seen. Labor that has been done for the course of decades and 20 years and 25 years is beginning to show. Show incredible fruit and come to fruition people who have sacrificed and who have labored and have not seen all the fruit that you have wanted to see yet that fruit is coming that fruit is nearer than you think and God is going to pour out upon this area and this region abundantly above all that you and I could ever ask or think why don't we put our hands together and lift our voices and let's just thank the Lord for that vote of confidence from him let's just thank the lord for that good report whose report will you believe his report or the lies of the enemy i choose to believe him let's praise him right now Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we could just talk about that all night long, couldn't we? Amen. I we could just crawl up in a corner and just pray and intercede over that. Amen. But I believe that God is going to, to of course, fulfill His will and tease that out even more over these next few revival services. Amen. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thankful for the connection that God is giving my wife and I with this church. And all I can say is this with all that I feel God has in store for this church. And I know he's already doing great things. I just hope my wife and I get to be somewhat around to where we can see it firsthand. I, I just hope somebody here will text me and give me an update with all the things that God is doing, amen, and going to do. Amen. Well, I know you're standing. I want to be mindful of your knees, amen. Thank you for receiving uh, what the Lord put into my spirit. I'm going to turn to the word of the Lord now. And how many know part of the process... Uh, there is a process of growth and there is a process of reaching all that God has for us. And uh, one man said sometimes preaching is soothing and other times it's surgical. And uh, how many know that's true? And I don't know if tonight will be soothing to some and surgical to others. I don't know. But I know this. Anytime God challenges us, it's only because He knows what we're capable of. It's never to hurt us. It's always to help us. Because he knows that if we can stretch a little bit, if we can stretch our faith, then sky is the limit for the people of God. Amen. So we're going to see what the Lord will do tonight. John 3, verses 28 through 30 says this, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And this, of course, is not Jesus speaking, but John speaking. And he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. And from that familiar passage of scripture, that's where I want to preach out of tonight. And I want to talk to you from this thought. The law of subtraction. The law of subtraction. Before you're seated, could you just put your hands together one more time for Jesus and let him know he's awesome. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I heard a story recently fairly recently about a game called Bigger and Better. And this is a game, man, somebody's heard of it. Praise God. This is a game where it's usually played amongst kids. I don't know if it's played anymore. It used to be played in neighborhoods with kids. And this is a game where you go and you knock on a door, any door in the neighborhood, and you announce the game that you're playing. And you attempt to trade what you have for something better. And you knock on the door, whatever you have on your person, you tell the person at the door, the random stranger the game you're playing, see if they'll play along, and see if they'll give you something bigger and better for whatever you have in your possession. So a young boy named Richard decided to play the game with his friends, and he started with nothing but a dime, because that's all he had in his pocket. The first door he knocked, opened it, a man answered and Richard said, I'm playing bigger and better, I've got a dime, do you got something bigger and better you can give me? And The man quickly played along and he leaned back to his wife deeper in the house and he said, honey, I've got my new friend Richard here, we're playing bigger and better, what can we give him for his dime? So Richard walked away from that first door having traded his dime and now awkwardly toting a very large mattress. He then waddled with that mattress to the next door and knocked on it and announced the same thing what he was playing and they played along and they traded his mattress for a fully functioning ping pong table. Richard took his ping pong table wheeled it to the next door and there he traded it for a prized expensive elk head mount. Amen, something very important in this region of the country as well. And you, you would think that Richard would stop there and settle for such an awesome expensive prize. But Richard did not stop and he did not settle for what he had been given. And he kept on trading up and trading up and trading up. And by the time the night ended, that boy Richard did not have a dime. He did not have a mattress. He did not have a ping pong table or an elk head. Instead, Richard drove home in a pickup truck. Richard started with nothing but pocket change, nothing but a dime, and he ended up with a dodge, all because Richard kept trading up, and he refused to settle for second best. We live in a world of addition. We, we live in a world that always screams more, more, more. And we like to see how much we can acquire of any given thing, don't we? And it's amazing to see this principle emerge in us from a very young age. If you observe children, for example, you will often hear them cry out things like, mine, mine, or more, more. I have personally never heard a two-year-old cry, less mom, less please dad. Unless, of course, they're referring to spankings. And then you might hear them cry that. Why? Because children are obsessed with having more. They will ask for more food, even though they have no plans to eat the food at all. Whether they need a given thing or not, to them, more is always good. And it's not just children, it's us grown-up children as well. And we can see all around us that humanity is obsessed with having more. But what I want to propose to us tonight, as the church, we should actually be more obsessed with less. If you do just a quick Google search on the subject, you'll find that learning subtraction is actually much harder for the average person than learning addition. And therefore, because subtraction is less instinctive to us, it's rarely given the attention that it deserves even in the church. But I would propose to you that subtraction is every bit as important as addition. Let me explain just a moment. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 16-17, I'm going to quickly paraphrase this. He said basically no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Because if it is, the skins will burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Let me explain. In other words, you have to subtract the old wineskin before you can have a new wineskin and any of that new wine. Because if you try to put something new and something that is old, the old vessel will not be able to handle the new wine. So Jesus is telling us, amongst other things, that we cannot just add him to our old ways. Jesus is letting us know that subtraction is every bit as important as addition. Because oftentimes we have to subtract before we can add. We have to subtract before we can receive. We have to make some room before we can receive something. And we can get so full of ourselves, our poor habits, My poor perspectives and complacency that God cannot add to us until we allow him to subtract from us. You see, the old ways have to go before God can make you new. You have to take away the old wineskin before you can have a new wineskin and any of that new wine. Can anybody testify that that's the truth? Find this law of subtraction all throughout your Bible. Ezekiel 11 and 19 says, "And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I'm paraphrasing, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a new heart of flesh. Do you see once again the removal has to take place before the addition can take place. You see, we, we think that we become great or achieve something great by the more that we acquire. But Jesus says we become great by what we subtract. Mark 10, 17-22 records the story, most of us are familiar with, of the, of the rich young ruler as he's called. And again, I'll paraphrase, I won't read the whole story, but uh, Jesus was on a journey and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, uh, uh, good teacher, master, what must I do to have inter- eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And hey man, that's a, that was a little uh, sneaky, cheeky way of saying, I am God, do you realize and understand who I am? And he goes on to say, you know the commandments, he says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother don't bear false witness and so on and the young man said teacher i have kept all these things from my youth up i've obeyed the commandments and the bible says looking at him jesus felt a love for him and said to him but there's one thing you lack young man go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me but at these words the bible says the young ruler was saddened and he went away grieving for he had great possessions Say, what's the point of telling the story tonight? This is the point. The rich young ruler went to Jesus thinking, how can I add you to my life? When in reality what he needed was not addition. What he needed was subtraction. Because Jesus was not going to be just another token piled on top of a mound of this man's treasure. You see, Jesus is not just something we add to our lives. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. As a matter of fact, he is the only life worth living. Amen. So Jesus said, no, young man, sorry, actually you need to subtract. And and let me just say this, he said, really, young ruler, it's not your money and your possessions I'm worried about the most, it's your mentality about them. That was the problem. There was another uh, rich, rich man in scripture called Zacchaeus. And Jesus, of course, uh, 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 brought him out of his dark place. And he began to follow Jesus. And he was very wealthy. And Jesus didn't ask him to sell everything he had and give to the poor. Because, of course, those who might possess money, if they're kingdom-minded, amen, they can use their money and their, their wealth to greatly bless and advance the kingdom. So God is not telling that each and every one of us should just right now sell everything we possess and all gather together under a bridge somewhere and just try to figure it out. That's, that's not the point. Jesus is saying there's a mentality you have about your possessions that you need to subtract. Jesus was trying to help him see that he was way too focused on material things. And Jesus was demonstrating his point And Jesus was spot on because the young man left without gaining Jesus more attached to his possessions than he was Jesus. And here's the point of all points here. This young ruler was not a bad man. You see, we we like to paint him in this picture that he was this young punk that drived up in a flashy new Corvette from his dad's money and said, Jesus, I've heard you're a cool dude. What can I do to get you on my team? What can I do to know more about you and be considered a Christian? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he was a young man that had kept the commandments of God from his youth up. And the Bible says that Jesus did not despise him. Rather, he looked at him and felt a love for him. So he was not a bad man. But you know what he was? He was just a man who was not willing to let go. Just a man who was not willing to subtract. And we all know of people that are are good people, a good man, a good woman. They're not horrible. They pay their taxes and their tithes. Amen. They they care for their family. They're good people. But we all know those people that are good. But they are also people sometimes that refuse to let go and refuse to subtract. And when they do, they never reach the areas and they never go to the places and the deepest depths that Jesus Christ has in store for them. Unless you think that this is just. Philosophy pulled out of a hat. Can I remind you, one of our favorite scriptures, Acts 20 and 35, that says it is more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to subtract, to output, than it is to add, to input. Because if you are willing to subtract, then God will add unto you. But he cannot add to you and I if we are so full of our own ways, our own thinking, our own plans, our own mindsets, our own own poor habits, and et cetera. There must be a subtraction, a giving, if we want to truly be blessed. And some people think that, you know, money is the answer to all of the world's problems. There are some of our, our politicians on both sides of the aisle that think that the answer is all societal issues. And if only we could drop a few hundred thousand dollars in every person's hat around the world that's poor, then everyone would be elevated and lifted. But we wish that were true, but we know that it's not true. Because we have seen on multiple occasions people be given money, and the money actually do worse for them. Because they take the money and they use it to hurt themselves and others. We have all read the stories of those who have won the lottery. And their life did not always get better after the fact because they didn't know how to use the money. I have preached in churches before, amen, around tax season. I've preached preached revivals where it's right before tax season and at the end of tax season. And right before there's people coming in and their life's a mess. And thank God they're weeping and snotting at the altar. They're filled with the whole, I mean, mean great things are happening, amen. But because they still have a bad mentality, that tax, tax return check comes in. The next thing you know, you don't see them for months. Am I telling the truth? They came when they had a need and then they got that check in the mail and they went out and they went back to some of their same old habits. Now thankfully that doesn't happen every time. Amen. There, there are of course people that truly uh, break that mentality. But there are a lot of people where th- th- my point in illustrating this is that their problem is not a lack of money. Their problem is a mentality about money. And you can add to them all you want to. You can put all the zeros in the bank account you want to. But at the end of the day unless they subtract a poor mentality about the money, that money will not help them and that money will not bless them. And it's the same way in the spirit. We can pray all day, God add unto me, God bless me, God give me. But unless we are willing to subtract some things and surrender some things and say, God, not my will but thy will be done. Not my plans but your plans. This is stuff is not mine to possess anyway unless we are willing to do that we will never be as blessed as we could we will never advance as we could hey i know i'm preaching to people that have sacrificed some of you have lived for god longer than i've been alive you've sacrificed time and you've sacrificed money and god bless you for that amen i am preaching that we can still go a little bit further and still go a little bit deeper and for those of you that have not sacrificed as some others in this church and god's been dealing with you about it whatever it is whether it's time Whether it's poor habits you've been holding on to. Whether it's negative, harmful security blankets that you refuse to let go of. Whether it's uh, uh, different things that that, that are really fear-based that you're refusing to let go of and refusing to put in God's hands. Whatever it could be, hear the voice of the Lord tonight that says, I want to give you more, but first there must be more room made for me. The only way that I can increase in your lives is if you decide to decrease. I am God. I cannot get any bigger. I fill all time and space. And the only way I can get bigger in your life is if you get smaller. How many know I'm telling the truth? You say, well, you're preaching to the choir tonight. Maybe maybe I am. But you know what? Even the choir sometimes, myself included, we all could use a tune up. Even the choir sometimes can start getting a little pitchy and get a little off key and the tenors and the altos, sopranos need some help. We all we all gotta be reminded of this. We are so human that pride can come into our hearts and minds like that and begin to halt and hinder what God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of our church. We can begin to get jealous. We can begin to 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 uh, have, a, have a gossiping attitude or a bitter attitude or have all these things that we somehow think we're justified in holding on to. And God wants to bless us and God wants to bless our ministries and God wants to bless our jobs and do more. But he's saying, I am waiting on you to give that thing that you have refused to surrender to me. I'm Waiting on you to give to me that thing that you just seem to cannot trust me with. Trust me with it. Surrender it to me. I've got more for you. Amen. What is is repentance if not subtraction? What What is repentance if not we come to God and we say, Clear me created me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. We we, we say less of me and more of you. We say I don't want to live the way I used to live. Take me. You're subtracting things out of your spirit. And that's how God can bless. That's how God can add his spirit unto you when you have made room for him. And so can I just say to anybody that's visiting here or anybody that is yet to receive the Holy Ghost, can I tell you if you are willing to place your life on the altar and you're willing to subtract everything, your, your sins, your, your, your own ways, your own plans and mindsets, and you surrender yourself to God tonight, God will sweep down into this place and he will fill you with his spirit and you will know because you will start speaking in other tongues. If you are willing to subtract, then God will add unto you. How many know this is true? Hey, man, if you're willing to say less of me and not my will and not not my pride, I'm going to pray. I don't know what all this is about. I've never seen this preacher before. I've only been to this church a few times. But you know what? I'm going to get on my knees and pray. I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to try him. I'm going to subtract. I'm going to repent and see what the Lord will do. Some of us have things we want to do for God and dreams that we want to achieve for God that we feel God has given us. But as long as we hold on to those security blankets and as long as we hold on to our fear and as long as we hold on to our anger and as long as we hold on to our unforgiveness and as long as we hold on to our justifications for all kinds of negative things, God still loves us. He'll still be there for you, but you will not advance to all the places that God has for you until you are willing in your heart and your spirit to let go and to subtract. Matthew 13 and 58, Mark 6, 5 and 6 tells us the account where Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth trying to teach and minister. You know, one of the most, most frustrating things is when you go to your hometown people, when you go to your family, amen, and you're trying to minister to them. And you're trying to reach them. They want nothing to do with you. I can't think of a few things more frustrating than that. And Jesus was dealing with this. And the scripture tells us that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And scripture says that Jesus was amazed. He marveled at their unbelief. And there's only two times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it says that Jesus marveled. And used that Greek word in accordance with Jesus marveling. And it's when Jesus was marveling at someone's great faith. And when Jesus was marveling here at someone's great unbelief. Can I tell you that if Jesus is going to marvel at me... I sure hope it's because of my great faith and not because of my great unbelief. The problem is they had Jesus there. Jesus was there in their midst. The miracle worker, the wonder worker, the door, the razor of the dead, the healer of blinded eyes was right there in their midst. But because they were so full of unbelief, Jesus could not add the miraculous unto them once again, their problem was not an addition problem, but their problem was a subtraction problem. And I've just come to remind somebody, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody here tonight, if we do not subtract our unbelief, how can more faith be added unto us? So Jesus basically says, I'm not going to coerce them to submit. I'm not going to force them to change. If they don't want me here, then I will go elsewhere, because God will not work where he is not wanted. We must be willing to subtract as much as we can our unbelief. We must be willing to pray that prayer. God, I believe, but help me subtract this unbelief. We must decrease if we want to step forward into greater dimensions of faith. We must subtract fear. We must subtract unbelief. And even if we're shaking in our boots and our face is pale, we must step forward and say, I am going to put God to the test. I am going to try him. I will pray for this person. I will speak the word of faith. I will start that new ministry. I will go where no one else has gone. I will go to a country that God's been speaking to me about. It's time for us to stop letting things that we need to subtract hold us back from the destinies that God has for us. Oh, somebody praise him right now. I feel the Lord here. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you before I move forward that if there is any type of sin in your life, I would be remiss as an evangelist if I did not say this. If there's any type of sin in your life of any kind, there's things that you've been doing you know you ought not to to do. There's things you've been experimenting with you know you ought not to experiment with. Can I tell you? But there's going to be an altar call in a few minutes. And whatever you need to subtract, if it's sin, you can come. You can repent. You can leave it at an altar. And Jesus will receive your repentance. He will touch you. And he will help you. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that's where the ultimate subtraction takes place. Where Jesus subtracts the record of sins from your life and off of your back. If you are living in sin or you've been dabbling in sin, I don't care if you've been here five days or five years, God is going to give you an opportunity to subtract tonight so he can fill you with new confidence, so he can fill you with faith, so he can add unto you his love and remind you that it's not over and you're not as messed up as you think and that he's got a beautiful future in store for you. What if I told you that Jesus is not only interested in us subtracting the bad from our lives. Of course he he wants us to do that. Of course we must do that. We just talked about that. But Jesus is not only interested in us subtracting the bad from our lives, but he is interested in us subtracting the good from our lives as well. That's the response I thought I would probably get. Let me explain. What did John say in the text that we read? He said, I must decrease so he, Jesus, could increase. John had to go so Jesus Christ could come. John was not a bad man. John was not a sinful man. John was a good man that was in the will of God doing what was prophesied that was going to be done. But even good had to be sacrificed in order that great could come upon the world. John 16, 6-7 six continues this thought, lest you don't believe me yet. Jesus said to his disciples, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He said, it is expedient for you. Another translation says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send the Spirit unto you. I will send the comforter unto you. What was he saying? He says, it is to your advantage that I leave so the Holy Ghost can come. Good, I'm not diminishing Jesus, but great had to go so greater could come. Amen. I'm not diminishing Jesus, I'm just quoting to you his words. Jesus said that the Holy Ghost himself in spirit form will be better than himself in fleshly form. As a man, he was somewhat limited because he chose to be, but as an indwelling spirit, he he is unlimited. Even Jesus had to, in, the, in his fleshly form, had to be subtracted, so the Holy Ghost, Jesus in spirit form, could come and fill thousands and millions of men and women to do the work of the Lord. Do you understand this law of subtraction? Great has to go, so greater can come. Good has to go, so greater can come. Average has to. Oh, come on, somebody! Average has to go, so great can come. We cannot settle for the bad, but we cannot settle for good either. We can only settle for great. We can only settle for the best that God has for us. Why do you think the Bible says greater, greater, greater is he that is in us? Because he left, much to the disciples' dismay, he could come back down, much to the disciples' delight. And now he could spread the same gospel through thousands and millions of men and women, through you and I. Do you see that the disciples did not want Jesus to leave? If Jesus were walking amongst these pews in fleshly form, we know he's here in the spirit. But if he was walking here in fleshly form and sat in these front rows, everybody would be at his feet, I'm sure. Nobody would want him to leave. We would be in the same position the disciples were in. We would not understand just as they did not understand that great had to be sacrificed for greater. And what we need to remember is that as much as we would love to have Jesus here in fleshly form in front of us, we actually have something greater, folks, and we actually have something better. Because instead of just having him holding our hand by our side, we have him holding on to our heart, living on the inside. We have this, oh God, we have the spirit living and working within us. The same spirit that was poured out on Acts chapter 2, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you and I. Aren't you thankful that Jesus left so he could come back down on the earth in spirit form? Aren't you thankful that a law of subtraction had to take place? Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't want us to just settle for where we're at? But if you'll let him, he'll always take you higher and deeper. Somebody praise him right now. I feel the Lord's here. Come on, somebody reach out to him right now. Hallelujah. I want the musicians to come. Amen. Just play softly if you can. Amen. Now is not the time for us to settle for good or for average. I heard one man say one time, he said, you know, complacency has destroyed more people than adversity. it's uncomfortable, and nobody likes to hear it, but you know, even in in adversity, you can learn some pretty awesome lessons. Even in adversity, his strength is made perfect in your adversity, but what do you do with complacency? That's destroyed more people than adversity. And I don't want to, I, listen, I don't care, I don't care how bad my past was, and I, I, we must always be thankful for every level Jesus brings us to. You must be thankful for where you are, that God has brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light. There's no question. But at the same time, we must have a divine dissatisfaction, a holy dissatisfaction that says there are still some things that I could do better with. There's still some areas I could go deeper in. Am I telling the truth, Brother Sergeant? you've lived for God longer than a lot of these people here combined, but but I guarantee you that man does not say I've made it and there's no more uh, uh, depth for me to go into and there's no more lessons for me to learn. No, he, he he learned a long time ago that there's something called the law of subtraction where we can keep getting smaller and Jesus can keep getting bigger. I don't want to just settle for a for a survival mentality. I want to keep pushing until I reach a thriving mentality. I, I, come on, I, I don't want to just settle where, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm 70% good in this area, and I'll just, I'll just drag this, this sorry heap of baggage behind me for the rest of my life. I mean, hey, it's better than it used to be. and Thank God it is, but it's also better than it could be. You know, we've all said this before, and I hope I'm not out of, out of bounds. If I am, Pastor Mayo will certainly straighten me out on Sunday, and I want him to. Amen. You know, we've all said before, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I've said it, you've said it. We know what it means. We know what we're trying to say when we say it. I get it. I'm not here to, to, to totally bash that. Again, I've said it before too, but can we just be honest? If you, if you really break apart that statement, that's a horrible mentality. If the whole world lived by that mentality of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, then we would never have innovation. We would still be using corded landline phones that work just fine, wouldn't we? Instead of driving these cars we have in the parking lot, that we'd just be on a horse and buggy going down Main Street because they work just fine. We wouldn't have iPhones, supercomputers that fit in the palm of our hand. No, instead we'd still be flipping through the yellow pages because it worked just fine. That same mentality can creep into the church and creep into our spirits. But God is an innovator. And God is saying there's always more. And I'm not talking about, don't don't anybody think I'm talking about the doctrine right now. Because you cannot improve upon perfection. No one's talking about changing that. We're talking about ourselves, our mindsets, the way we think, the way we operate. What what did did Jesus do when he came to earth? He, He told all these people that thought... That they had everything down pat, he said. You used to think this, but now I tell you this. You used to think that this is the case, but now I tell you, if you just look upon someone who is not your wife with lust upon your heart in your heart, then then, then, then that is considered a grave offense as well. You thought this, but I tell you this. You thought this, but I tell you this. Je- Je- Jesus, not not everything w- w- was totally broke. I mean, people could have said, "Come on, Jesus, it, yeah, I know it's not perfect, but hey, if it ain't if it ain't totally broke, don't fix it." There's some good things, and we're trying to obey this and obey this law. And Jesus said, "Look, I understand." Even Jesus said, "I did not come to abolish the law; I came to fulfill it." And Jesus said, "I understand, people of God. I understand Pharisees and Sadducees and disciples, etc. I understand it may not totally be broken, but just because it's it's not broke doesn't mean it can't be better. It may not be broke, but it could be better. And I have come to fulfill it, Jesus said. And I have come to make it better. I'm coming to a close, but I want somebody so badly to get a hold of this and grab a hold of this. And there's some of us that already have, but for those of us that haven't, can I tell you, there's more for you. And if you're willing to put everything on the line, if you're willing to surrender everything to him and live with that open palm and there's nothing you're clutching back from God, but instead your hands open and everything you have, you're willing to let it pass through your hand freely because it's not yours anyway. Luke 5 and 39, Jesus said, no man also having drunk old wine straightaway desireth new. Remember, Remember we talked about the old wine and the new wine. This this goes with it. No man also having drunk old wine straight away desireth new. For he says, the old is better. Another translation says this. No one after drinking old wine wants the new. Why? This is what this translation says. For the man says, the old is good enough. Jesus making this statement was not saying it's a positive statement. This is in the Bible because to let us know that that Jesus understood the new ideas of the gospel would not be accommodated by old harmful patterns of thought. Jesus put this and said this in scripture because he recognized that old habits and old ways of thinking are not always easily changed. And so he said that there's new wine and there's something better, but, but because those who are intoxicated on the old, they unfortunately miss out on all that God has for them because they say the old is good. But the church cannot survive on a, it's good enough mentality. I wish somebody would tap into what I'm feeling right now. The church, ourselves, our spiritual walk cannot survive. Or at least it will never thrive on, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. I'm so thankful for where God has brought me. I'm so thankful for what he's done. I'm young, and I've been privileged to see great things, and I know I'm still green, wet behind the ears, but can I tell you that even with the great things I've seen, it's not good enough. Anybody else feel what this preacher's feeling? I'm I'm thankful, man. I'm so thankful. I've testified on Sunday. I've seen some miracles. I'm, I'm so, God, you know I'm thankful, but God... For me, for this old boy, for my spirit to be satiate, it's not good enough. There's more. I've been to great conferences. This church hosts one of the best conferences in Pentecost. But it's not good enough. I want more. I want more, I want to see more, I want to see more of what's talked about in this Bible. I want to see more of the radical. I want to see more of the miraculous. I want to see more people stepping out in faith. I I want to see more of the world hear the gospel. There's still 11, 12, or 13 countries that do not even have a oneness Pentecostal witness in the entire country. The old is not good enough. There's more that we can do, and there's more that we can subtract, and I'm not here to anyone or make anybody too uncomfortable or get too much in your Kool-Aid but I have come with a mandate from the Lord to tell you that less is more that you can still and I can still subtract some things to make more room for God if it's possessions, if it's my mentalities, if it's my pride if it's my fear, if it's a load of unforgiveness, whatever it is, I want to be willing to surrender it to Him quote a final passage of scripture. One or two passages of scripture, and I'm going to close this, and we're going to come and pray. John 14, 12. He that believes on me the works that I do, shall he do also. What did he say? An average works than these shall he do. Complacent works. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater What if we could get to a place, you know, we all want to see this church filled up. It's the will of God for every pew to be maxed out. It's the will of God for every chair in that new building to be maxed out. How do we know that's true? What, what if we could grow and if we could evangelize and witness and grow our church to the point where we stop measuring our success by our seating capacity and we start measuring our success by our sending capacity? People might come in and say, hey, where's so-and-so? And And where, Hey, this section of the church is looking a little empty. And you can look at them and say, well, that's because there's 15 churches in this region that they're kind of busy taking care of. Well, that's because, yeah, the people you saw last time here, yeah, they're they're over there in a foreign country. They're they're over there. they're, They're in another city a few miles away starting an apostolic orphanage. Yeah, sorry, they're busy at the battered women's shelter today helping with folks. And they're, yeah, sorry that, you know, they're in foreign missions. Or, or sorry that they're going there and, 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 and they're leading an entire music team over here. You know, sorry, we just really like to send people. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'm only saying this tonight. I wouldn't say this to a church that I didn't think couldn't handle it. I'm preaching this to a church because I believe that's where God wants to take you. Where your seating capacity is so full and that's so accomplished that your measure of success changes and you start measuring it by your sending capacity by people that are willing to go into the harvest, by people that are willing to, through a myriad of different ways. I know not everyone's called to stand behind a pulpit. That's fine. You're still a minister of the gospel where people realize that and they go out into the world and they they are incarnated, so to speak, just as God in flesh was. And you are incarnated at your job or wherever you are. You are the witness of Jesus Christ to that place, that school, that college, that region where college campus ministries are started. And from that college, you're reaching for and exchange students that you can then go across to their country and began reaching other people in the world. I'm just, I'm just shooting out a little vision here. There's a million different ways this can go, but this is where God wanting, is wanting to take us. He is wanting us to have greater and more. And I'm going to conclude with this scripture, lest I have become a broken record tonight. I believe that we have received this and that... The point is communicated, and I believe in a moment we're going to come pray. God is going to speak to our hearts about what he would have us do. I believe we're going to see great things in the weeks and the months to come. I believe a momentum, especially with what's happening with this church building, a momentum is being created here in this church that is going to reach a place where... You will forget what it's like to not have momentum. You, 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 you will just stay in a perpetual season of momentum. God is doing incredible things. And in order for each and every one of us to participate in those incredible things, we must all be willing to subtract. Final passage of Scripture, John 15, 1 through 2. We can stand. If you're physically able, you can stand. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. We understand the first part. If there's a branch that's pretending to be a branch... And it doesn't care about the things of God. And it has no desire to really serve God. And, the, and it's not even trying to produce fruit. God is graceful and merciful and long-suffering. But eventually that branch will be taken away. We get that. That makes sense. We understand that part. But do we understand the second? That even when a branch does bear fruit, that one's going to be clipped and taken away too. God takes away the bath but he'll cut away at the good too. Why? To make room for great. To make room for more. Every branch that does bear fruit, he purges it, he trims it, he prunes it. Why? That it may bring forth even more fruit. You might be in some pruning and some clipping and a trial right now. And listen, I know sometimes trials come just because trials come. It's just life, and it has nothing to do with God. So we all just experience pain and trials as a part of being fallen humanity. We know that. But there are other times where perhaps some of the scraping and the pruning and the cutting you're feeling and the dissatisfaction and the discomfort, could it be because God is pruning you? Could it be that God has sent that and God is working on you not to hurt you, not to just make you bleed, not to make you frustrated, but he's working on you that you may bring forth more fruit. Does anybody want to be more fruitful in the kingdom of God? Come on, this preacher's done preaching. I wonder if we lift our hands all across this house and I wonder if we'd be so bold as to pray that prayer, Jesus, nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in Spokane, Washington, as it is in heaven. Come on. Come on, in North Spokane, and West Spokane, and East Spokane, and South Spokane. Let your will be done in the Northwest as it is in heaven. Come on. I wonder if there's anybody that's willing to pray some radical prayers. I wonder if there's anybody that's willing to just, you know, let go of one more of those little security blankets. I wonder if there's somebody that if you've got some sin in your life that you need to surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's here to forgive you. He's here to fill you with his spirit if you've never had it. Come on, if you need to repent of your sins. Come on, this altar's for you. You can come, and God will do a mighty work in your life. Come on, is that your prayer? Empty me, Jesus. this to take you to the next level. Come on. He wants to take this church deeper, into greater, into deeper dimensions. Come on. Push a little bit. This isn't to hurt you. This is to help you. God loves you so much that He'd help you get rid of the things you need to get rid of in order to go deeper and further. voice and begin to cry out to him, come on, if you feel a spirit of intercession coming upon you for your city, come on, if God's been dealing with you about something, if God's been calling you, come on, cry out to him, respond to that, let's push, let's go further. That's it, that's it, that's it. Come on, and if this wasn't for you tonight, but you know it's for someone else, find somebody to pray with, find somebody that's praying at this altar tonight, put your hand on them and help us pray. women. God's been dealing with you, if there's something God wants you to do, somewhere God wants you to go, come on, pray about that. Surrender that to Him. God, not my will. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. From every young person to every elder, come on, God's talking to us. Hallelujah. There's always more. There's always more.